fear the talking queers. So, we kind of wanted to talk today about the inception of Fear the Talking Queers. Um, so, it all started with me. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it did. You're not lying. So, I am, if you don't recognize my voice, I'm Frankie. And I'm Jake, and we're Fear the Talking Queers. Yes. And so, this idea started with me wanting to do a podcast, and I just didn't know how. I was listening to a few, and I was like, I could totally do this, and I would totally rock it. <laughs> so, uh, so, what happened? So <laughs> Bitch up yours, girl. <laughs> um, so well, I was like, who would I do it with? And you were the first person that came to mind, to be honest. But this is pre-COVID, so right. like, you were like, you know, traveling the world, literally in an- another country, probably in another country. I don't even think I could contact you to ask you to do this with me. So and I, yeah, my Wi-Fi situation would never allow me for this to happen anyway. <laughs> so it was just kind of this idea that was on simmer, like in my brain. And I really didn't have the time or energy for it. I mean, I would have worn myself then. Uh, so, <laughs> so anyway, um, Jake and I, so Jake lives in Orange County, as we always talk about, and I live in the Napa Valley. We had gotten together on Black Friday, this past Black Friday. Yeah. To see Rihanna's Trailer Park musical. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so my best friend that uh, we've known for years and years and years was performing in Sonora, and which is literally like, Shit's Creek like it is that kind of town but um, yeah so we hadn't seen each other in years so we were so lucky to ha- you know, finally be able to meet up and hang out we had a really great day yeah and so uh, in true Jake and Frankie fashion we were just riffing off of each other all day quoting movies and blah 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 yeah you know just like, doing what we do best and we even listened to podcasts on the way back home we did which is strange because honestly I didn't really listen to many podcasts uh, at, you know, at the time but I, we only a few horror ones like some scary ones and we had been talking about it so that was kind of funny a little foreshadowing yeah it was so crazy yeah foreshadowing um, so then COVID happened and the world shut down um, so Jake went back got shipped back home <laughs> literally yeah. to the box <laughs> in a coffin and I was like and, you know, and I was in quarantine. I was like, you know, I've only worked like two days a week because I was at home five days. And I was like, I, okay, this is the, if I'm going to get this shit started, this is going to be the time to start it. And so I was like, hey, bitch, do you want to do a podcast with me? <laughs> and I said, no. Just kidding. <laughs> you, <laughs> and magically, you had all the equipment already. And- yes, which thank you to my roommate who was planning. She had, you know what? It's actually funny. I don't think I've ever told you this. She actually asked me to do a, a podcast with her. I was uh, yeah and I oh. and I and so she was planning on on doing a podcast with her best friend who's a, who's also a really good friend of mine and they were and their concept was that they were just going to tear down movies because that's what we do anyway like we oh, we watch oh movies all the time and they were just going to rip apart movies that people think are good and tell them why they're actually bad like that was the concept of theirs so they asked me to be like a third person on their podcast and so she had ordered all the equipment but then I don't know things kind of didn't get rolling with that and COVID happened and so we just had the podcast equipment laying around and so I just happened to be able to utilize it that's um, crazy yeah this is it was meant to be (laughs) yeah this is all lining up (laughs) and I have yet to pay her for this equipment that I use every week 
<laughs> well, I bought mine off Amazon. I own mine. <laughs> and we basically were waiting for me to get my equipment to start. And so once I got it, we kind of just... The building up to it, it took some time. We were like, is it going to be about queer culture? Maybe we should talk about movies in the beginning. And it sort of leads into some subject about queer culture or pop culture or something. Yeah. And then it was like, let's just do horror movies. And then Jake finally texted me. He was like, let's just do horror movies. Yeah. I, I just figured it was probably better to uh, simplify our concept. Uh, you know, we, I didn't really know how we were going to be able to market what we were doing because I didn't even really understand like exactly what our concept was. I was like, is it gay things? Is it uh, with a little bit of horror movies? Is it horror movies, a little bit of gay things? I didn't know. So I was like, do you know what? We just need to sort of pinpoint it and uh, make it specific. And I was like, honestly, there's nothing we enjoy more than talking to each other about horror movies. I I just thought that was the best idea for us. And when you said that, I was like, we're going to put ourselves into a box. But then I was like, you know what? We would have so much fun with this because our entire friendship is built on the foundation of movies, specifically horror movies. Yeah. So it's like synchronicity. No, it was serendipitous. <laughs> I, I don't know. I No, I think it all just worked out perfectly. And I feel like we've really found our, our niche, especially talking to other podcasts that are also in this community. I think we really realized like, oh, do you want know this was probably the best decision for us. And we've um, really enjoyed getting to know all the people in this community with us I think that yes. they yeah I think that that's been such a uh, that one of the greatest parts about doing this is that we've really gotten in touch with all these you know amazing other podcasts that I didn't even know existed I didn't even know this community <laughs> existed and now yeah, I come to find out we're one in a hundred thousand yeah, gay horror podcasts right exactly but everybody is so supportive of one another everybody's so welcoming um you know i even though i've never met most of these people i feel like i've made friends and um i think that we kind of wanted to maybe shout some out today yes well first of all aside from podcasts isaac has been amazing yes and keeping up with us and talking with us and being truly supportive uh jonathan has been so great to talk to on there yes and um colton Yes. Colton from Montana. Colton from Montana. Yes. Oh yes. my. Yeah, see the, these are yeah, I feel like we're making really great connections with with people from all over. Like Yeah, uh, Isaac's from Texas. Jonathan, I don't know where Jonathan. North Carolina. From. I think he's from North Carolina. Oh yeah. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Um Sorry we're putting then, your yeah, all your business <laughs> all your business out yeah. there. <laughs> we just want to make sure we just want to tell everybody that we have hoes in different area codes. Ah! <laughs> and oh my god so we've made lots of friends like that but you know we also kind of want to sh- shout out some of the podcasts too so yes. this- the podcast community has been nothing but generous in their support and i think that a lot of that has to come from the fa- the roots that we all share which is the horror fandom roots yes um so of course the creepy crap podcast uh, yes daniel from the creepy crap podcast all the way from australia mate Oh my god, that was so good! I thought I was talking to Olivia Newton John. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, you are. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, we are on his fiftieth episode, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So, um, if you're looking for a Stella episode, <laughs> oh my, <laughs> to, to listen to, from give it up, delicious. You sound like a man. <laughs> <laughs> 
bitch. <laughs> um, Porcelain Peak has been so fun to interact yes, with. You guys are amazing. Um, um, that's a really great podcast. Please check it out. And we were part of, <laughs> they just did a really great <laughs> challenge on Instagram where they asked people to submit um, movies for uh, their October episodes, which are like uh, vampire, werewolf, witch, and Halloween movies. And honestly, they should have called it Fear the Talking Queers tells us to watch dot 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 because we have <laughs> contributed they, every they single picked, thing they picked like almost all of our suggestions so and not only did i put like three suggestions for each category but jake put like two to three yes suggestions for each category yes and they picked it, all of them including <laughs> including the movie that we're doing our episode on today so <laughs> i'm really curious yeah yes, it's so funny the horror bandwagon two husbands one's a horror fan one's not and they haven't even started their episodes yet. And they've been really good to us, too. Yeah, absolutely. They, Yeah, make sure you check them out. I think that's a really fun concept. Um, and, I, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing where their journey leads them. Yes, and We Love Horror, another yes. great podcast that's yes. been so sweet to us. So sweet, so nice. Once Upon a Scream. Hey, our sister podcast from across the pond in the UK. Hello, governor. Hello, governor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a little Disney, a little Disney horror podcast. That's such a fun idea. They've been really great to interact with, and they might have some fun stuff featuring us, us soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, Gore friends, they've reached out to hey, us. And really come- sweet. Hey Mars. Hey girl. The horror movie crew podcast. Yes, which we, I feel like we've had a really um, kindred experience as we've both hit a mile, the same milestone on the same day. Yeah, so both of our podcasts have been out for four months, and we both, at the same time, at the same day, hit the 2000 play mark of our podcast. So, congratulations, you guys. Yeah, so exciting. Uh, Congratulations. Congrats, bitches. Yes, keep, (laughs) keep going. We'll be right on your heels the entire time. And of course, we could not talk about podcasts without mentioning homies of horror hey. so I love homies of horror I love them and yes. and we've now connected on a, a much more personal level we've even had some you spiritual, know spiritual I would say yeah spiritual level and um, I think we have a little announcement about the homies of horror our very first October episode streaming October 7th the movie that you voted for in our story House of Wax will be in collaboration with Homies of Horror. Yes, that's right. We are having our very first collab episode. So are they. So it's going to be a really, really cool, fun, new experience for both of us. I'm so excited to do it with them. I think it's going to be really fun. It's going to be so much fun to share the stage. That's right. We're all like, we all have backgrounds and like acting. Yes. Share the limelight. (laughs) Oh, ooh. Ooh. I like that one. Yeah. (laughs) What the hell does that even mean? <laughs> uh, limelight? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Girl, moving on. <laughs> so we we know you're you love us so much. Yes, you are under our spell. Ooh, our love spell. Ooh, our love spell. <laughs> we prayed to the goddess and we said, "Let them love us." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she said love me love me <laughs> say love me <laughs> she said shut up fine <laughs> she said you don't have it <laughs> like, you don't have it give it up already give it up 
So just kidding, guys. You guys aren't under any spell. I know. Don't. Except don't worry. A few of you. I think a few of you might have fallen for our love spell. That's right. <laughs> but um, so that so gracefully <laughs> gets us into our movie this week, which is the 2016 independent film, The Love Witch. Oh, it is. Oh, a spicy little movie, and I'm so excited to talk about it today. But before we do, I'm going to tell you what the hell it's about. Tell me. All right, here we go. The Love Witch. Produced, directed, written, edited, scored, costume designed, and set designed by Anna Biller. My God. I know. What a jack of all (laughs) trades, bitch. A filmmaker, bitch. Literally, a visionary. Presented in Colorscope. Our story begins with our heroine, Elaine, played by Samantha Robinson, who I love her name. Just throwing that out there. She literally sounds like a character from Bewitched. She does. She sounds like she's from the 60s, which is is perfect for this because this movie also looks like it's from the 60s, but it's not. It is from 2016. Crazy. Crazy. It's for, yeah. Anyway, so Elaine is a raven haired femme fatale in her car on her way to start a new life in a new town after the mysterious death of her abusive husband, Jerry, in San Francisco. Along the way, she's pulled over for a broken taillight by hunky officer Griff, played by John Keys, Gian Keys. I don't know. Who lets her go? We learn that Elaine is, in fact, a witch who has a history of having trouble keeping a man. When she arrives in town, Elaine meets Trish, played by Laura Waddell, an interior decorator who shows Elaine to her new home, an apartment in a beautiful Victorian building, once inhabited by a fellow witch, burlesque dancer, and friend of Elaine's from San Francisco named Barbara. Trish and Elaine decide to have a lavish lunch together in a Victoriana-style tea room, where Elaine confesses that she wants nothing more than to be whisked away by a prince on a white horse. Still upset by, quote-unquote, being left by her ex, Jerry, Elaine sought out witchcraft from witches Barbara and Gayen, who taught her the craft and what she needs to know about keeping a hold of a man, specifically always catering to their desires. Trish is appalled by this idea, but Elaine claims giving a man sex is a way of unlocking their love potential, advising Trish to give a man his fantasy in order to, in turn, receive the love that she is so addicted to. Trish protests until they are interrupted by Trish's husband, Richard, whom Elaine has a mysterious cold reaction towards. Elaine spends her days painting romantic scenes reminiscent of tarot card art and creating love potions and candles from her spellbook. Laying on a pentagram, Elaine pleads to the goddess to send her a man to love her. After selling her goods at a local Wiccan store, Elaine sets her sights on a man in the park talking to another young woman. Using her will to get what she wants, Elaine catches the attention of the man who is magically drawn to her. The man, Wayne, is persuaded by Elaine to invite her to his secluded cabin in the woods for dinner and a romantic rendezvous. They immediately set off. When they arrive to the cabin, Elaine gives Wayne a love potion that she's disguised in a flask. Wayne is increasingly sexually attracted to Elaine, but she insists on making dinner first. Wayne starts feeling the effects of the potion, becoming entranced with Elaine, who begins to perform a sexual striptease for him and declaring he can make love to her now. They proceed to have a psychedelic night of passion. Wayne starts to show adverse effects to the potion, beginning to feel an overwhelming amount of emotion and feeling towards Elaine, a confusing contradiction to his lethario ways. 
The amount of emotion he feels leaves him sick and desperate for Elaine, who is immediately turned off by Wayne as he's turned out to be such a pussy. Elaine wakes up to her period and makes a breakfast for the increasingly manic Wayne. After pulling a tarot card, Elaine finds Wayne dead. She creates a witch bottle filled with her urine, herbs, and a used tampon and proceeds to bury Wayne in the woods, something she claims to have done before with little bother. Elaine gives her rainbow jacket as an offering on Wayne's grave and sets it ablaze. Elaine returns home and is visited by Trish. Elaine exclaims her disappointment that things didn't work out between her and Wayne, as she thought he was the one. Trish tells Elaine that she's in fact going out of town, leaving her husband alone and unknowingly vulnerable to Elaine. At a local burlesque club, word starts spreading about a body discovered with witch carvings on it. Coincidentally, Elaine is also at the burlesque club having a drink with fellow witch Barbara. Elaine confesses to her about her failed love potion experiment with Wayne, to which Barbara reiterates that men aren't capable of handling too much emotion. They are joined by male witch Gayen, who makes Elaine very uncomfortable, especially when he tells her that he's still teaching a course on sex magic. They are harassed by locals for being witches, but they take the higher road and ignore it. At the table, Gayen and Barbara give a lesson to a few younger witches on the power of dancing and that a witch's true power lies in her sexuality. Back home, Elaine begins to remember the misogynistic things her father and Jerry used to say to her before his death. As she writhes on the bed, Elaine recalls her coven induction ceremony where it seems that she is sexually taken over by Gayen. We then are taken to the local police station where we find that hunky officer Griff is actually hunky police sergeant Griff Meadows. The young woman that was talking to Wayne in the park arrives to tell the police of seeing Wayne leave with a mysterious woman and that she knows of his cabin. The sergeant and his partner Steve discover Elaine's burial site and ultimately Wayne's body. Elaine has decided to invite Trisha's husband Richard over for a home-cooked dinner. She proceeds to seduce Richard and gives him a giant goblet of a love potion. After Richard confesses to feeling that he's never really lived dangerously, Elaine begins her hypnotic striptease and the two begin their love affair and Elaine exclaims that she is the love witch and his ultimate fantasy. Sergeant Meadows' investigation leads him to a professor well-versed in witchcraft who tells him that the item collected at Wayne's burial site is in fact a witch bottle used to protect against curses. We are then taken to a ritual ceremony performed by Barbara and Gayen in which Elaine is in attendance. Gayen confronts Elaine at the after party and refers to her past lovers as her victims, just before she tells Barbara that her affair with Richard has ended eerily similar to the way her relationship with Wayne ended. Back in her home, Trish confronts Richard and is emotional distance from her, but he can only desperately think about Elaine. Sergeant Meadows brings the witch bottle to the Wiccan store where the clerk directs him towards Elaine. When he arrives at her apartment, Elaine and Sergeant Meadows are immediately drawn to each other. Elaine plays dumb about Wayne and the urine-filled witch bottle. He confronts her about being a witch in which she replies that she is proud of the fact and that it saved her life. Elaine comes to the conclusion that Sergeant Griff is the man she is destined to be with as it was in her tarot reading, and also he loves animals. The two decide to spend the day together riding horses and kissing. They just so happen to come across a medieval festival full of food, drink, and pageantry. Barbara and Gayen show up hosting the Summer Solstice Festival, in which Griff and Elaine are coaxed into a mock wedding to honor the gods of love. They are serenaded, changed into medieval wedding garb, and fake married in front of the entire festival. When Elaine's inner monologue claims that she is more in love than ever, 
Griff's inner monologue claims that he is not in fact in love, as it would make him soft, and that women start off great but eventually begin to expose their flaws. Men aren't capable of fully loving women because the ideal woman doesn't exist. Sergeant Griff's partner, Steve, is ready to take down the witches for murder, but Griff wants to honor the agreement to leave them alone. Even after presented evidence about the history of the Coven's connection to a series of murders, Griff doubles down that he wants Steve to lay off Elaine in the Coven, even as Steve accuses him of being in love with Elaine. Meanwhile, Trish finds Richard having committed suicide in the bathtub. Trish and Elaine return to the tea room as Trish mourns Richard's death, realizing he needed a woman willing to give him his fantasy. She now thinks that she was being naive. Trish tells Elaine she knew of Richard's affair, however, does not know it was Elaine, who yet again plays dumb and instead gushes about her love for Sergeant Griff and her anticipation of engagement. When Elaine forgets her ring at the table, Trish decides to drop it off at her apartment. In Elaine's apartment, Trish notices all of Elaine's witch paraphernalia and begins to use Elaine's makeup, wig, and lingerie, turning herself into an Elaine doppelganger, becoming the woman her husband would have wanted. Going through her drawers, she discovers evidence that Elaine is in fact the woman that her husband was having an affair with. As Elaine enters the room, she grabs a dagger to seemingly stab Trish, but is wrestled onto the bed where Trish slaps her and blames her for the death of her husband. Trish vows that Elaine will burn for this. Elaine quickly starts hexing Trish and wishing her to crash and die. Elaine has the coven perform a love-binding spell on Sergeant Griff. Back at the burlesque club, the waitresses and locals complain about the witches in front of Griff. When Elaine arrives, Griff tells her that her DNA matched that in the witch bottle and that Trish has come forward blaming Elaine for her husband's suicide. Elaine doesn't take responsibility for the deaths as they die from circumstances out of her hands. Griff ends things with Elaine, claiming to never have loved her. Elaine says if men could just love women for who they are, they wouldn't have to work so hard to get it, and that witchcraft had helped her regain her power as a woman. When Griff exclaims that he's arresting her for illegally burying Wayne, the locals begin to attack and attempt to rape Elaine for being a witch, only to be saved by Griff. Back in her apartment, Elaine tends to Griff's wounds and still professes her love for him, in which she has no response and refuses to drink her love potion. Elaine, stunned, begins to break down, seeing Griff as a terrifying death skull and seeing images of her former dead lovers exclaiming their love for her. Elaine takes her dagger and stabs Griff in the heart, mirroring the tarot card painting on her wall. In her mind, she replays images of their mock wedding as she holds the bloody dagger in her hand, keeping those memories forever. The end. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, what a... What a romantic and tragic tale this movie is. <laughs> so good. So good. A modern so, day Romeo and Juliet. Literally. <laughs> yeah. It's like <laughs> a modern day uh, Romeo, uh, Marcus, Eric, all the different men in her life yes. and Juliet. Because, <laughs> he, yeah, the, she goes through men like, um, I don't Kids know. Kids on Halloween with candy. Like, like she goes through tampons, okay? Right, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just start off by saying that Anna Biller is the filmmaker that our generation needs? Oh my gosh, she is absolutely incredible. When you think of, like, if you listen to what I said at the beginning of that synopsis, she wore almost every single hat in the making of this film. This was like her love child, like, and this is a passion project like no other. And this movie has an incredible payoff because it not only is a, a story with a very um, 
with a very powerful feminist message, but it also looks out of this world. It looks like it's from a different time. It's beautiful. It's it's just, it's a feast for the eyes. Yeah, it's a feast for the eyes, and it's like, uh, it's like the nostalgia. I mean, we aren't even from the 60s, obviously. Like, that is so far <laughs> oh my from God, no. r- removed from our time. But, I mean, we've seen, like... <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Quick quote. Tell me what it's from. I don't want to look like I'm from the 60s. I'm in my 20s. Oh, God. It's, uh, the way you're delivering it, I'm thinking Glee. I don't Rock of Love. They oh! do they do the fifties photo shoot and yes. Megan, Megan says the fifties. I don't want to look like I'm from the fifties. I'm in my twenties. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love Megan. Megan Hauserman. Shout Probably. out to you, girl. <laughs> Where she's listening. Uh, yeah, love anyway. you. R.I.P. Lily. That's <laughs> that's her dog. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, this movie looks incredible. And it and it looks incredible. It took years to make. Yes, this movie took according to Anna Biller, it took her a total of like 7 years to create this movie from its conception to when it was released. And to, you the, know, to the script, to the costumes, to the hand-hooked rug that she lays on for oh. 10 seconds of the movie. Yes, I mean, and I think that's a that is a huge testament to how much this project meant to her. That she yes. she she put every ounce of her energy, her time, her her probably her blood, sweat, and tears into this. You know, and like 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 Frankie just said, there's a scene where Elaine um, is laying on a like a, a giant rug that looks like a pentagram. That took Anna six months to hand hook that that rug by herself and it's and a beautiful rug it's a beautiful rug and uh, you know and it's only in the movie for a few seconds but like it, she had it, things it was so important for her to have these details um in the film and she made all the renaissance costumes i mean stellar and i watched an interview with her and she was actually really sick i'm not sure what she had but she was really mm-hmm. sick when she was doing all the costumes and stuff and she said she could hardly stand up so she was just at that sewing machine making all those gorgeous costumes right and you know i think art in a way is like an amazing distraction when you are not feeling well if you're sick and i think probably you know i I don't want to speak for her in that sense but i feel like maybe the creative process of this really was healing for her i don't you know i'm not 100 percent sure on her health now i'm sure yeah i'm assuming she's doing doing better but i mean i can imagine that um really spending her time focusing on this really did probably heal her in a way because and i think with great results because um this Uh, movie look this movie just looks alone incredible yeah she said the that the key to pulling off a high quality low budget film is to pay attention to the details yeah, and and that is so obvious in this movie how much she did. I mean, the painting. She painted the paintings. She created the sets. She like took inspiration from things that existed and and remade them to a T, like architecturally. <laughs> like she yeah. like she she's like inc- rec- she's incredible, incredible. Yeah. Yes, and 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 on top of that, she wrote this movie. She directed the movie. She edited the film. Uh, like she composed the music for the film like this woman is out of this world and she is like has to be one of the most i don't know stellar like filmmakers and probably 
like women. One of the most women, talented. Yes, most talented women in film I can think of, um, and and dedicated. And I think she probably has just some a real love of filmmaking, and I think that's so amazing. And I don't I don't think we see that um, enough from female filmmakers or uh, yeah. female filmmakers get the opportunity to to have passion projects like this. And so I think that um, this is that is definitely something to be mentioned and to you know really root her on for and you know hope that she continues to make these you know really amazing unique projects yeah one of the things that actually really upset her was the um the comparisons to those sexploitation films of the 60s and 70s uh, yeah. because that's not the idea or look she was trying to go for at all um and, you know, a lot of people compare her movies to those because of the way it looks. Um, and right. It's not, and she said it's not even the film. I didn't even film it using that that film that they used back then. It was just the lighting. And yeah. the lighting alone isn't enough to make a comparison to a sexist movie. <laughs> right. And I, and I think that they said those things specifically. And I, I think she made a really good point about it. And I think that really ties in with the sort of gender politics of this film in general is that the majority of people that saw it were only seeing the sex part of it and not yes. seeing everything else that goes into it. So she's like, if you saw a sexploitation film, that's on you. That's not what I was making. That's because that's what you were looking for and not what I was giving you. There was right. so much more to this to this project, to this story, than just the sex. But if that's what you want to see, then go ahead. But that's not what the intention was at all. Yeah, because sex is such a minuscule part of the story. Yeah, I mean, yes, I, and like it, it is like in the grand scheme of things, as far as like the the sort of thesis of this project, like sex isn't necessarily, you know, the main driving force. It's a tool. It's a tool for our character Elaine. She uses sex as you know, um, as a device to um, get what she wants, but it's not necessarily like. This isn't like a sex crazed film where she's like no. some some bimbo nympho who's you know fucking all these guys for fun. <laughs> you know, it's it's not a, it's not about yeah. that. No, and you know the bewitching female glamour, the 1960s aesthetic that she so beautifully crafted, I think is more so a reflect on the mind of Elaine being sure. like her sort of old school way of thinking about what women need to provide men in order to be loved. Right. First, like, what I want to talk about Elaine first before we really get into that is like okay. this idea of whether Elaine is our hero or is she a villain? And because I, I, I do think that's <laughs> the first step we need to take because when we first meet Elaine, you're not really sure if she is, if she's like an evil witch, if this like sort of love witch thing has like sinister intentions. But I, I and listening to Anna Biller talk about it, I really liked how she sort of equates Elaine to living in a balance between both. Like she doesn't, she's not really evil. She's not really good either, but she's like a toxic narcissist. Who, yes. uh, you know, who has gone through um, abuse in her past. Um, that's a reference, you know, with her husband and uh, or her ex-husband who mysteriously died, which I'm not. They don't really say whether or not she killed him, but I. Yeah, but they, it's, they have, I think it's kind of hinted at when she said when you, you know, she's running from something. In San she's Francisco. running from something and they have they have like a quick little shot of him like drinking something and dying. 
So, <laughs> yeah. so it looks like she kind of poisons him. And so, uh, yeah, she's definitely on the run from something. And even later on, she sort of references that after she kills the character of Wayne or inadvertently kills him that she's not, yeah. she's not she's like i'm not really bothered by death like and this isn't the first body i've buried so like yeah yeah so, so it um, kind of seems like she has maybe a history of uh, yeah killing you know potential yeah. lovers yes and so I, which in and a now way, she has the tools to do it in a way where she's not directly killing them she's yes. killing through love magic um which anna biller kind of says i think due to her toxic narcissist Nar- narcissi- narcissism narcissism um that she you know she hasn't really harnessed her her craft yet and i think we kind yeah. of talked about that in the craft or you're balancing light and dark energies mm-hmm. and i think she's sliding into dark <laughs> the more her lovers die the more she's you know yeah exactly yeah no absolutely losing control and- yeah, yeah, she like hasn't fully harnessed this power and the power never seems to really work in her favor ever. Like not, there's, I, I can't really think of any moment specifically in this movie where anytime she's used quote unquote magic that it's really gone her way. <laughs> like j- just initially, just when they're being enthralled by her beauty. Yes. But it, it kind of um by, plays into the fact that you can be as beautiful as you want to be, but men still have wandering eyes they still have their fragile egos to attend to and no yeah. matter how beautiful you are you just can't win right and I, and I think one of my favorite things about this movie is this idea and then the premise that men in the movie they die because they because they are incapable of feeling emotion especially like the way a woman does um, and that their bodies and mind literally can't handle it and they just shut die. down they just, they just die <laughs> yeah. and yeah. um you know she told a great story about i think she was talking to one of her aunts um who was this, who uh, like she like anna had gone through like some sort of breakup and she was like consoling with her aunt who was just like who gave her just this like off the cuff excuse of like you know but you know men aren't capable of handling emotion and you know and so anna was really affected by this thing that her aunt said and that's what she sort of based the premise of this entire movie on is that men are you know this like old school because her aunt was like older and um so it's like this old school mentality that men are incapable of feeling and you know emotion especially the way a woman does and that it will literally be the end of them and i think that's a really fun concept it is because it it seems true to reality in a way yeah I mean, There's a lot yeah. of men who struggle showing emotion to the point where is it gonna kill them if they <laughs> if they mm-hmm. tell this woman that they love them how madly in love with them they are will it kill them because it seems like it will <laughs> right exactly and I like that it's like in, it's induced by this like love potion that create that she creates she like gives these men this potion and then all of a sudden it like it like oh it's almost like too strong or something and they just fall so in love with her so fast and that they just they up and die or the, or they kill themselves like the character of Richard who she yeah. um, who is the the husband of another man which again it's like what you know teeters line between whether elaine is a villain or a hero is because she's kind of a homewrecker a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i am kind of pinning her as a lovable villain 
Yeah, it, yes. She kind because, of is level because I think, And I think that's a trick to the audience because mm-hmm. you're seeing someone who's so glamorous, so beautiful. The actress herself is gorgeous. Gorgeous. The makeup is precise. The fashions are just adorable. So yeah. everything about Elaine and Samantha Robinson is gorgeous, beautiful, stunning to look at. The glamour lighting does her justice. Um, but she's killing people. And so yeah, even I, as a viewer, you're being tricked by her beauty because you yes. don't know if she's a hero or villain, but I think she's a villain and we're just being tricked because she's beautiful. Right. And it's it's sort of like that, that like femme fatale. I love that word, that femme fatale kind of thing, that old school, yeah. um, you know, this a beautiful woman who, yes. who sort of has a bit of a dark side to her. Um, I think that's great. And yeah. you know what, you know, there's a line in the movie that really, um, that stands out. That's sort of, like that um but it's almost like the opposite um when the character of wayne is like it, it, he's like tripping from the from the love potion and she's doing her strip tease and she has like and she starts it with like this her black sort of trench coat dress that she has on yes and and then she opens it up and it's like a rainbow and he's it's like lined ah! with rainbow yes yeah, yeah. lined with rainbow and he's like your goat your goat is so bright like i can't handle <laughs> it and he's like you and he says something along the lines of like you portrayed that you're so dark and quiet on the outside but inside you're like full of like a lot of stuff going on you mm-hmm. know and i and like maybe is that like is that like she's so simple like the simpleness of like her beauty and then she oh but she's actually like a kaleidoscope of like crazy things going on on the inside that, that <laughs> yeah, you can like yeah. see now i thought that was really uh, i think that's a really telling fun line and anna uh, biller in that interview that we listened to on that podcast um, yeah we should we should probably shout that out i yeah, think it's what, called what was the podcast called uh it's called the witch wave if you, yes, yeah. if you listen to the it, podcast, a, the Witch Way, it's a great podcast. Yeah, uh, uh, who um, I, I don't, I don't know much about it. I sought out this episode because I'd read about it online. Um, but um, the host, I think she's a practicing, you know, witch, mm-hmm. and um, so she has a lot of really great in- insight as far as like a like a Wiccan standpoint on this movie. So check it out, the Witch Wave, the episode yeah. I think number eight with Anna Biller. So Anna Biller in that podcast, she mentions that women who who women who do basically do themselves up who portray glamour who dress themselves up who do the makeup and the hair and everything that they do it as sort of like a revenge like they they know that people will be they could they have a power over people like when, yeah. they, when you have a glamorous woman, and that's very true that's, but even for gay men like we adore glamorous women they yeah, are our idols <laughs> yeah and um i think and that's sort of the the premise of the um, witch coven that Elaine belongs to. There's this. There's a scene that they have, and one of the things that this movie does very interestingly is that it will, that it will literally drop everything that it's doing to sort of give you a lecture or like a lesson on either like uh, like feminism or something. There's a scene where they are in this burlesque club, and she's talking to the to the high priestess and the high priest of her coven, which are the characters Barbara and Gayan. And they sort of stop everything to give a lecture on like their dogma or whatever, like whatever they believe in mm-hmm. as far as like women's sexuality. I actually have the quote right here. This is like the actual quote from the movie about how they describe, they're like teaching these young witches about embracing their sexuality. <clears throat> and so they said, um, 
that it's a celebration of woman as a natural creature, an earthly body, a spiritual essence, and a womb. The whole history of witchcraft is interwoven with fear of female sexuality. They burned us at the stake because they feared the erotic feelings we elicited in them. Later, they used marriage to hold us in bondage and made us into servants, whores, and fantasy dolls, never asking what we wanted. They teach us that the normative human being is a hyper-rational stoic male, and the women's emotions and intuitions are illnesses that need to be cured. We believe that men and women are different and that true equality lies in that difference. We strive for male-female polarity and to teach men how to love us using the way that they can understand. And so like that's sort that's like like the witchcraft mantra that Elaine is living by. Yes. Whether that's problematic and outdated as a whole is sort of um, a big message of this movie because the whole movie is sort of a satire on old ways of viewing women. Yes. But it also, but at the same time, it, it sort of does bring up good points about you know the power of femininity and feminine sexuality that there is just that men just do not innately have like 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 the power that women have sexually is on another level than men she has used it as a way to um get herself out of her her depression and her hurt from her ex-husband who used to abuse her so now she's become this like sexual creature who um is using sex magic to hopefully create love like then that's how that and it's sort of like this almost misguided um way they've taught her how to achieve love is that um she needs yeah. to use her sexuality to do it because um, that's sort of how their coven operates yes where exactly your your right into the uh, coven itself is to have sex with the high priest and it's like which is a very uncomfortable scene because yes you're like, and it's, traumatizing ugh. Yeah, it is. And and for Elaine, she doesn't like it, but right. she does it anyway because it's going to give her this world of power that she right. can turn around on men. Right. And I think and I think it's very noticeable with the way Elaine interacts with most of the men in the movie because you could tell she's very uncomfortable with them. She's always having like these kind of weird physical reactions to men that get to like especially Gayen, the high priest of the coven that she had to have sex with in order to get into this cult or the or not this cult this coven like yeah. she's very uncomfortable especially like like i think even in the synopsis i said it like he he has a scene where he's she's like oh i haven't seen you in a while she's like are you still teaching your courses it's like yeah we're still teaching this 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 and sex magic and she's like oh you're still teaching that are you like she's like uncomfortable with men yeah even though yeah. she's she, it, it, it sort of it's like a weird thing because she it's like she wants a man she wants to be loved but at the same time she's sort of uncomfortable with them she because of how she's been treated she's like a she is wounded she's like traumatized by yeah by men. yeah she's definitely holding some trauma um and i think that the most comfortable she is with the men in the stories after they've died yeah <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and yeah, and she's sort of like maybe yeah, she's, she's a lesbian. Co- Ooh, maybe. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's a there's usually like a pretty big connection between what, what like lesbianism and witchcraft because like it's all about feminine. It's all about feminine energy and like um, I don't know. Maybe maybe she is, or I think, or I honestly think she's just traumatized. she's traumatized. Yeah, she's traumatized. Yeah. 
And so, um, and so the next thing I kind of wanted to bring up that kind of goes into this, like this, like old worldly time of, type of thinking, um, mm-hmm. is like is the contrast between the characters Elaine and the and Trish. Okay. Yeah. So they sort of represent both sides of like feminism. Where, where Elaine's standpoint is like sexuality is her power. Trish is like very opposed to this idea. She's the first one to, in the movie to tell Elaine. She's like, wait a minute. She's like, you, you don't have to. You, we can't let men just, just. She's like, what do you mean? Give them what over. they want. Yeah, give them what they want. She's like, how are we going to be equals to men? How are we? You know, it's all, for her. She's like the modern sense of feminism. She's yes. like, how are we going to be equal with men if we just give them whatever they want and they can run all over us, you know? And um, so they sort of represent the two sides of the coin when in actuality, it doesn't matter which side you stand on as a woman, whether it's embracing your sexuality or not prescribing to the patriarchy or somewhere in between, it is all still feminism. You know, you don't really have to choose which side just as long as you stand strong and are unapologetic for who you are as a woman. And right. so um, I think there's a, there's a really great scene towards the end where um, after Trish finds out that Elaine, <laughs> um, <laughs> Elaine has been sleeping with her husband and who has just killed himself because he's absolutely head over. He was so in love with again, Elaine and he yeah, ends yeah. up off- offing himself. Um, it's probably my favorite scene, one of my favorite scenes in the film, where um, you know Trish has this moment where she she goes to Elaine's apartment and yes. uh, with good intentions at first, just to drop off a ring, but then she gets sort of entranced by the world that Elaine lives the in, the glamour, the glamour of her, and she has this moment where she she puts on Elaine's makeup and she puts on Elaine's wig and her lingerie, <laughs> and she's like, and she Dancing sort of. Around. Yeah, and she sort of becomes the woman she isn't, you know, that even though she is opposed to um, you the know, seductive Elaine, side of womanhood. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, exactly. The the strong the overtly sexual um, trope of, you know, of womanhood. Yeah. Um, she sort of has like an like an envious moment because she, you know, she lost her husband to somebody who who was giving him something that she didn't. And so for a moment, she sort of becomes Elaine, like physically, and she probably is feeling it on the inside girl. She's, you know, feeling herself. Yeah, she totally was. (laughs) Yeah, she was feeling herself for a minute. And, uh, you know, then they, it all sort of explodes when, um, you know, she finds out the truth and finds out that the woman that she's, that she now is like on the outside being in Elaine's clothes is, is actually the reason that her marriage ended and then she they get in a big fight where she she ends up reverting to you know the most extreme thing which is like slapping her and calling her a slut and a whore and um yeah that's that is an extreme part because the two women doing that you know to each other and it's it's sort of a topic of conversation for the relationship between women like envy and the you know the yeah the the dark side of, of women, female relationships. Yeah, female relationships for sure. Like, yeah, I actually didn't realize um, what you had said is that this takes place obviously after um, Trisha's fiance or husband. Is there a fiance? Her husband. Oh, sorry. That <laughs> this takes place after Trisha's husband has died, and she has that sort of journey for a second where she becomes 
Elaine. And I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, that's that's totally what happens is that she becomes the woman that she lost her husband to. Yeah. And then realizes that's actually who she lost her husband to. Yes, exactly. And then they have that big fight. That's my favorite scene. It's so good. I think, yeah, yeah, I think that's a, it's, yeah, I think it's a really fun scene. It's, it's super campy, but it's, um, I think they do really well with it. I think they handle it really well. Um, the only part I don't like about it is that I get so excited at the end when, um, you know, when Elaine grabs her like talisman or whatever. And she's like, she's like, die, die, crash. And like, she's like, you know, but then we, you know, it never really happens. But again, that goes back to like, does Elaine's magic ever really work? (laughs) Like, I don't know if it does. I don't know if it does, or she's just using some rotten herbs that are killing these men. (laughs) I mean, maybe that that might be true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the interesting things that I kind of took away from that scene also is the sort of Stepford wife, uh, part of it all like where it's like you have to become this you know beautiful sex kitten who's yeah. also a nurturing housewife but knows how to have sex and you know give their man space and just kind of be there as an accessory for the man right and um when Trish goes and she dresses up as Elaine she sort of becomes that like it's sort of like a Stepford Wives moment where she yeah. be she you know she loses the feminist part of herself and becomes the Stepford wife yeah, and yeah. Because Elaine is very much uh, like a Stepford wife. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she's sort of given over to the, to that side of it. You know, she's fully embraced that part. And even though she technically has, has power, it ha- doesn't really work out in her favor. You know, these men always die. She's still alone. Even in the end, she's still alone. It, like, never really works out. Her Her, yeah. her approach to feminism doesn't ever really pan out for her. But um, yeah. I do. But I think that really, what you said kind of brought up a really good point is that you know that women have to be all these things that they're constantly told to to jump through all of these hoops to be considered desirable or good enough. And I think that goes back to the relationship between Elaine and Officer Griff, <clears throat> um, because he because oh that that last scene that they have at the, at the burlesque club, um, they. You know, Officer Griff is breaking up with her and telling her, you know, like, I never loved you, even though he, like, full, fully, like, led her on, you know. But, um, you know, and he's like, I never loved you. And she's like, and she kind of has this this honest moment where she sort of leaves behind that, like, that overtly sexual facade that she has. And she's like, if, if, if men just loved us for who we are, we wouldn't have to work so hard to get love from you. And, mm. and, and I, and she's like, and you know, we work so hard and I mean, she doesn't really say this, but you know, it's sort of like, she's, I work so hard and you still don't love me. Like, why am I, why do women have to try so hard for men who are never going to fully accept women? Because for some reason they don't have, cause women will never be perfect enough. And that's what that's what Griff's inner monologue says after their their fake wedding. Their he's fake like, wedding, yeah, yeah. He's like the feminine ideal doesn't exist because eventually they, you know, women start exposing their flaws, and you know, there's no perfect woman. So how could I fully invest in loving one? Which, <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, it is. I mean, I mean that that's how men think I think and you know that's kind of goes to show that her power doesn't work because he doesn't love her and he yeah. and he has those ideas from the well, beginning yeah well I do think it's interesting that he's the first person 
that she doesn't use the potion on. Oh, right. You know, like, because the other ones, like Wayne and Richard, she used these potions that, like, you know, cause them to die. But I think she thought when Griff first gets to her apartment, they have this, like, instant magnetism towards each other. And she had pulled that tarot card that, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and he was sort of lining up with the things she likes because she's like, do you love nature? And he's like, I love nature. And she's like, uh. And so I think she Do you finally, love animals? Right. And I think she finally, <laughs> yes. Do you love animals? Um, <laughs> that she finally, she tr- she tries to trust the sort of organic way of of a relationship and they have this amazing moment and they you yeah. know this like this crazy medieval mock wedding that they have and i think <laughs> she's i think she i honestly think that she's trying to do it the normal way yeah and then but then it backfires on her horribly and it's like no matter what she does whether she gives men the love potion whether she doesn't it's still going to end up the same way because men don't respect her enough. But I wonder if he would have fallen in love with her if she was just her sincere self. Instead I mean, of that's that's true. That's being, fun. you know, the blue eyeshadow wig wearing witch. <laughs> What'd you call me? No. <laughs> I love that moment in the cabin when she puts her wig back on and she oh, kind yeah. of shifts it around. <laughs> yes, I love that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I... So I mean, maybe that's true. Maybe maybe ha- had she just been herself, but you know, she. But again, she's traumatized. She's gone through that relationship before. She has where, to put up that front. Yeah, yeah. and that, and and witchcraft being the the metaphor for her her sexuality is what she claims saved her life. You know, it saved her and like was her, her what she was reaching for to sort of heal yeah. her. Um, you know, from her past wounds. So I don't and, know. It's, it, it's hard and, to tell. In that article that you sent me, um, or the kind of breakdown of this movie, they Mm -hmm. kind of talk about how when the men die, it's actually not really the men dying. It's actually just another, like, scar on her heart. Mm. Like, it's, you know, it's kind of just like a symbolic way of saying that this man hurt her. Like, this man is now gone, and she's just another whole... And when she kills, and when she actually, like, stabs and kills Griff at the end, that she's breaking the cycle that she's taking her power back and she's wow and i'm like oh yeah so there's so many ways to look at this idea and this story and this concept yeah and that's the thing and i think one thing that i've noticed about watching this movie is that i think you can get caught up like this movie obviously looks beautiful it looks amazing but sometimes i feel like you can get caught up only I don't want to say only looking at that, but there is so much, there's so much meat underneath and like so much to look at. (laughs) Yeah. And and once you like get past like the style and especially because like there is a certain, a certain way that they, that they deliver lines in this movie. It's sort of like purposefully wooden, like, um, you know, that are, that's really reflective of like the style of like the movies back then in the sixties that it's sort of emulating. Yeah, the that delivery so, of the yeah, 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 and that sometimes it can, you, it can be a little hard to like see all the messages underneath, and that that there is actually an incredibly deep film in here with a lot to say, even though yeah, the, and a lot of ways to look at it, and a lot yeah. of different points of view, which I think ties into Anna Biller's sort of 
how she said that this film is enjoyable for both parties for yes the masculine and the feminine right and i and i think that's such a, a, an interesting thing that she sort of talked about about this idea of like the feminine imagination and because it is very rare for us to see a film that is so feminine like mm-hmm. in its origins and um you know, and, and she made a she makes a really good point. The, uh, Anna Biller makes a really good point when, in the interview where she says that um, the movie industry and the film industry really is domin- It's dominated by men, and in yeah, a way, totally. and, and that the fi- at the film meet the film medium itself is sort of like a a projection of the filmmaker's imagination, right? Like this is what's coming from the imagination of whoever's making this film. But because the film industry is so saturated with men is that, that we all, that's all we get. We just get the male imagination all of the time. That's why we, you know, we have, you know, the superhero movies and, and the, uh, the James Bond movies and things like that, that we're so, um, you know, inundated with, but it's very rare that we see, film that is that is of the female imagination and so she she kind of wanted to to make this movie for everyone because she does incorporate really strong feminine images like the like the tea room setting for instance because the tea yeah the tea room setting is like so overtly feminine it's very pink and florally and there's harps and cakes and yeah, well, you the know, whole aesthetic of the film, the glamour lighting, the pink, the colors, yes. the everything is very that sort of soft feminine um, sort of, you know, what you think of. And actually, yeah. one of the things that Anna Biller said is that women apologize for liking that stuff. Like these, right. you know, like women apologize for liking pink, fluffy cake and tea and gowns and things like that but you don't have to but and then men you know they'll like this movie for the sex and the action and the blood and the horror element but then they do have to sit through those moments of uh, you know tea and tampons and you know and a wedding like she's like a wedding things that are that women may fantasize about or they you know things that go on in their imagination and and it's it it, it, it is probably a bigger struggle for men to sit through something like this, but I think it probably gives her an enjoyment knowing that that men are going to have our men are going to see this movie. Yeah, thinking, not necessarily being like you know side like fucking side swiped, but like you know you have it, it's okay to you know experience feminine imagery and not have yes. to apologize for it. Like it's fine to see these things and not hate them, and it's okay. Yeah, just, just think- as yeah, just as as we've made women, you know, sit through superhero movies. Yeah, I think one of the strongest images that men have to sit through in this is when she makes the witch bottle mm-hmm. with her urine and she places her used tampon in there. And, yeah, and it's sort of like, that's something that would totally make men uncomfortable. Even, uh, you know, me watching it, knowing all the things, being raised by women, knowing nothing but women, really. Right. Um, you're like, kind of like, oh my gosh, you know, it's kind of like a shocking image at first, but then she's like, what? You know, and then the, her internal monologue comes in and she's like, what? Women bleed and it's a beautiful thing, you know? And you're yeah. kind of like, well, yeah, you know, that it's that's a part true. of nature. It's it's, it's a part natural of natural life cycle. Yeah. And yeah. men have to sit through that and they have to understand that, you know, especially because, you know, if that's, if you have this old masculine way of thinking and you have a wife that does everything for you, they're over there putting your, uh, 
your dirty chonies into the uh, okay. <laughs> washing machine with skid marks on them. Okay. You know, what's the difference? It's a natural life cycle. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that like these are and these are things that we are never shown on film. You know, because, you know, movies mostly come from or, or like at least the ones that are produced on a, on a mainstream level are usually from the mind of men. And so like to have yeah. a movie that is so feminine that, that that so feminine that she would put a, a bloody used tampon and be like what there's nothing gross about this this, this is, is a part a of a wo- thing. this is a part yeah. of a woman's life like we're constant like movies are the medium of showing life telling stories this is part of what a woman goes through and she's using that and and she uses that as sort of like a gift like she's literally like putting her urine in this bloody tampon in a witch bottle and it's sort of like a gift for Wayne and to protect him from curses can be with him forever yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) and it's sort of like a beautiful thing as opposed to something you're like oh my god that's disgusting like what's this like (laughs) yeah there's not yeah there's nothing it's a shot it's a shocking image at first for a male mind but I think right away, right away, she tells you why you shouldn't be shocked, and yeah. you're kind of like, oh yeah, it's like sit down, yeah. <laughs> you but know, that, like that, it's like yeah. when people go, eh, like in school, when you know they talk about something in a, you know, like right. what you would think would be inappropriate, and they're like, oh, and like grow up, you know, right, exactly. <laughs> like what world but, are you living in? <laughs> <laughs> but but you have to agree that's like a powerful that's like a powerful moment for this film, and I think that this movie does. Yeah you know have a lot of power and you know and i think that it does some really amazing things and um yeah it successfully pulls off a pretty stellar balance of feminine and masculine interests absolutely yeah you get a little tit you get a little ass and then you get um mm. a little tea and, and you a get little killed. wedding yeah exactly <laughs> and so um, um well first just let's talk about the men in this movie really quick please. okay <laughs> So I love Griff. Oh, <laughs> he is so hot. I can, I He's honestly don't. So I can't. Hot. I literally don't know what the actor's. I can't pronounce his name. Gian. I think it's. I think it's Jean. Jean. Yeah, that's why it could be Gian, but I think it's Jean. Jean. Let's say. Let's say Jean. That's what French sounds. Jean Lacroix. Um, he's actually really appropriately cast. <laughs> I think that he's cl- he's perfectly cast because he actually used to be a model for um, romance novels like Fabio. I mean, he looks like a chiseled statue man. He is so oh my God. perfectly beautiful. And honestly, and I again, it's hard to tell like what's like a stylistic choice or not, but like they're so he's so rigid and like old fashioned, yes. just like stiff like stiff wooden beautiful. You know what man. I was thinking of while I was watching this? I was literally thinking that if this movie was made in the nineties, Rose McGowan would play Elaine. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> because she sort of has that feminine mystique of the of a of days gone by where mm-hmm. you know they're kind of like that that transatlantic sort of breathy delivery of lines where you're oh, sort of yeah. like yeah do you she's like a, nature and she, do you yeah. like animals <laughs> <laughs> yeah and she was like a, she's like a raven haired beauty when she wants to be you know when her hair is black and um yeah, yeah i think i i think that she would have been great in this if this she was made in the great. 90s great yeah. yeah, and I so I kind of I compare it that to that because I'm like I was telling Andre when we were watching this I'm like it's so 
60s down to the line delivery like these they know what they're yeah. doing yeah like the style is so strong in this movie like they Hello. must have ha- like this the way they oh, do everything my my, fa- my favorite one is when she's talking to the uh the wicca store clerk and they're like hello she's like hello like it's like so like robotic yeah, she almost doesn't see her until she's until she's oh, yes. in frame <laughs> yes and i, and I like, love that hello she's like thank you elaine Bright blessings, <laughs> like, like, and, like, and the edit and the editing too. Like in that same scene, Elaine is talking to the store owner, and she, and as she's going on the store, they show the store owner, and she's just sort of like looking down at her bag, and like you know, it's yes. just very. You would literally think that this movie was made in the sixties. Yes. Oh, you know what? My, my fa- one of my favorite moments like that is when she first meets Trish, and they're standing outside of the apartment, and she goes, "I'm Elaine," and she's like, "I just came," or whatever, and she's like. She's like, I'm Trish. I'm an interior decorator. And she goes, oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) And they just... (laughs) And honestly, I know we made this movie sound really, like, romantic and dramatic, but it actually is really funny. There's a lot of comedy in it. Oh, yeah. I mean, the comedy is in what we're talking about right now. The comedy is in the, 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 the pinpointing of, of everything from the editing to the dialogue of this aesthetic that it that it portrays and it's like it's it's a really well done and it's really great and yeah um wayne has a cute butt oh yes (laughs) oh yeah exactly and we don't just see little t like some tits like we get a little man booty too and he got a cute yeah you get some man booty this movie literally is for everybody literally is for especially the gays (laughs) absolutely because she is glamour mama she like her outfits are to die for her makeup is so it's like to die for she's like Lana Del Rey meets Casey Musgraves meets Morticia oh. like Elvira a little bit you know I love that um that sort of romantic ringlet hair she has oh. with the white dress when she's oh. painting so pretty Gorge. like yeah she, yeah she looks like she's from she looks like she's from another time um, mm-hmm. I wish like this is like a movie I wish I could be in just to see what I would look like like what would I what would I be wearing like you know what fashion you would be wearing jeans and a t-shirt walking in the background of the town <laughs> square scene <laughs> in Eureka California this, in Eureka California I was gonna say when you come over here we're gonna have to take a trip yes. to um Healdsburg to see the town square of Woodsboro. Yes. Uh, Sonoma, so we can go to Woodsboro High and then we can go to Eureka and, you know, visit, visit the set of the Love Witch. The set of the Love Witch. That'd be so much fun. Yes, let's do it. That sounds like a really fun time. Um, <laughs> but I, I just, my final thoughts on this are I. I have kind of become obsessed with this movie since I think picking- it's climbing up to your like top tier At of top movie tier choices literally and like just since we've picked this movie i've watched it maybe four times and i've like just <laughs> just in in preparation for this episode i just keep watching it and every time somebody watch walks into the room they're like you're watching this again and i'm like <laughs> i'm like yes. well because each time you watch it you're peeling a layer oh peeling a layer. absolutely peeling a layer. every time that i watch this movie i'm like there's something new there's something you know uh, uh, yeah some there's less in the way of where i can really understand where this movie is coming from and that is such a that's such an exhilarating experience as like as a movie watcher like to Mm -hmm. like to find something new every time or like there's so much detail and uh, even in like the art that's everywhere that you're like oh my gosh i never really like that oh the colors the uh, colors 
the red against the blue and then the black and the rainbow and the psychedelic sort of yeah the chromatic like lighting it's gorgeous 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 it's a visual feast it's a a, a strong message yeah it's delicious my final thoughts on this movie are that Anna Biller deserves a budget mama like Literally. I don't know if Netflix needs to hand out a deal because she's open to I think having a team because she sort of said that you know due to budget restrictions that she basically had to do this on her own she doesn't she didn't have the budget to, to have yeah. a team of people to help her make these costumes so yeah. uh, I think that if she was given the resources can you imagine the creativity yeah. that would be unleashed absolutely it would and just be amazing yeah. this, this and that's what I am so enthralled by it's like not only did she deliver a thought-provoking story but she put her soul into the movie and yeah. it shows so brilliantly and I think everybody should watch this movie because this is art like yeah, this it, is it, a piece of art totally absolutely no yeah she she imagine what where she can go and she did like tease like what she wants to do next she wants to sort of do these like women in peril films which were like big in the like the 60s and things like that so I mean I think she's really I would she's love really, her take on that yeah and I think I think she's really set her aesthetic now the what she likes to do and so I would love to keep going and I would love to see Samantha Robinson come back I want to see more of her yeah oh my god it's she very um yeah it's like Hitchcock like Hitchcock yeah. and his muses yeah yeah I would oh love my to god. see more of Samantha Robinson stars and Anna Biller's newest you know endeavor I see Anna Biller going down in history as one of the greats, for sure. Absolutely. All she needs is recognition. And I think we're doing our part spreading the love witch. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. You're so witty. Thank you. W- witty, witchy, bitchy. I can't wait to hear Porcelain Peak's thoughts on the Love Witch. Yes, I'm going to hear know, what's, what three straight dudes think three about. Three dudes, yeah, think about the Love Witch. No, oh, yeah. No, I think they're I you know, I think they're very intelligent men and I yeah. I I have full faith that um they're that they'll have, love this movie. Yeah, they will fall in love. Which <laughs> steal my joke? <laughs> I am. <laughs> I, I was gonna say, you see what I did there? <laughs> all right. Well, um, I think that I mean we covered it all, bitch. We did, bitch. Yeah. We killed this movie like we, Elaine killed Griff and every other man she's come in contact with. <laughs> <laughs> we don't really have much else to say. Yeah, I mean, other than. Stay tuned for October because it's a coming. Yeah, it's a coming. We have some more great episodes. So far, we have three episodes of House of Wax. We have uh, The Conjuring. And now, newly, we have Evil Dead. That yeah, is, I, I mean, the voting isn't over. But I'm almost positive that Evil Dead has won. Yes, absolutely. And so that's really exciting. Um, Homies of Horror will be joining us on House of Wax. And yes. uh, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Follow us at Fear the Talking Queers. Uh, on Instagram, make sure you can email us if you want. We haven't received an email from anybody. Is that like an old timey thing, like from the sixties, like the love witch? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> do they? <laughs> Only Elaine emails. <laughs> yeah, literally. All right, and um, I guess we'll talk to you next time for a little House of Wax. Sweet screams, bitch. Bye.